You're listening to episode 14 of the Journey to Launch podcast, from welfare to running a six-figure business, how Alania created wealth from the bottom up. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey guys, I am super excited to bring you another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. And I'm extra excited because I just found out that I am a finalist in two categories at the eighth annual Plutus Awards. And so if you listen to the podcast a couple episodes ago, you heard me ask for you guys to go and nominate me for the Plutus Awards. And if you don't know what that is, the Plutus Awards are like the Grammy slash Emmys slash Oscars for people in the personal finance space. And so I'd ask you guys to go nominate me for best new personal podcast, best new personal finance podcast. And you guys did. And then a committee decided that I would be a finalist, which was super, super great. And not only that, but I also was selected to be a finalist as best new blog, which was super surprising because since starting the podcast, which launched July 26th, I haven't had much time to blog. And so previously I was blogging for this whole year and actually blogging and writing takes way more energy. It takes way more work for me than it is to actually talk into a mic. And so I haven't had as much time to blog, but being nominated in this category as best new blog amongst so many other blogs that are out there that are so great really, really makes me want to get back into blogging because obviously you guys are recognizing my hard work and you like it. You like what I write too. You like what I write and you like the podcast. So I really want to start writing more. It's just really finding the time. So I'm just going to try and maybe commit to write at least one blog post. I don't know. I don't want to say it out loud because then you guys are going to hold me to it, but maybe once a month um, at minimum to start. And then in addition to doing the podcast, we'll see. But this definitely the this nomination definitely makes me want to start writing more because you guys are reading it. So it's amazing. So thank you once again if you nominated me. And the finalists will be actually announced live at the Plutus Awards at FinCon, which is the personal finance conference I'm going to in a couple of weeks. So that will be super exciting to be in that room full of a whole bunch of other people I admire, the other nominees that are amazing. And so I just can't wait. And I'm just happy to be nominated. But of course, I'd like to win. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. You know, I'm going to keep you guys updated. So thanks again. Second thing I wanted to talk about is before we get into this amazing episode, which I think you guys will love, is that if you are enjoying the podcast, if you like the content, as I always ask you, please continue to rate review and subscribe. So if you're listening to iTunes, you know, I always tell you this rate, review and subscribe, leave that review in iTunes. It really means a lot to the podcast and to me. And even if you're not listening in iTunes, just subscribe wherever you are and then tell a friend to tell a friend. Now, the show notes for this episode that I'm going to get into is going to be at journey to launch dot com slash episode 14. And this episode is pretty cool, pretty special because I am talking to someone who maybe you know, maybe you don't, but her name is Alanya Kohlberg of the Bottom Up Wealth community. She just has an amazing story. She has an amazing platform. And not only is she just knowledgeable, like she knows her stuff, but she really prides herself on teaching, teaching about how to build wealth from the bottom up, which you can tell from her name of her company. And so she decided to create Bottom Up Wealth as a way to teach her audience how to take back their financial lives by showing them how to achieve financial freedom, to live life on their own terms, allowing them to make money work and grow for them. And I like Alanya a lot because I'm actually part of her personal Facebook group for Bottom Up Wealth and her community is so awesome. They are so engaged, so much, so willing to learn like anything they need to to better their standings. And I love Alanya, not only from the way she teaches, but that 
she also has a personal story. So she's a wife, mother, stock and real estate investor. And she came from bankruptcy. She came from being a single mom who had to figure it out, who had to figure out how to build wealth for herself. And then not only did she build it for herself, she turned around and started to educate other people on how to build wealth. And so I wanted her to come on the podcast because I want her to share all the amazing information and tips she has about starting her journey. And so we'll be talking about a bunch of things. You know, we'll talk about Alanya's background. We'll talk about how she turned her finances around from being bankrupt to running a six-figure business. We'll talk about the foundations and building blocks of wealth And so we all, you know, can always go back to the basics to learn these things. And we'll talk about her love for Roth IRAs and why you should be really careful about investing in high fee accounts and how that eats away at your wealth and a bunch of other things. At the end, we start talking about how to invest and set our kids up for success. So if you're a parent, this will particularly interest you. And so I really just can't wait to get into this and for you to hear this amazing episode with Alanya. And again, if you want the episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 14. Okay, let's begin. Oh, and stick around for the end of the podcast. I am announcing the wealth building manual and where you can pick that up on my website. Hi, Alanya. Thank you so much for joining the Journey to Launch podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am kind of fanning out right now because I'm a huge (laughs) fan of yours. I'm a huge fan of your brand and what you teach. And I just I couldn't wait to get you on the podcast because I feel like who you are, your journey, which you'll get into, and then what you teach is so important. So tell everyone a little bit more about yourself. I am, first of all, just a regular person. I'm a wife and I'm a mom. And I um, actually come from very humble beginnings. I teach investing and I teach investing because I was asked to teach investing. I am a stock and real estate investor and I learned how to invest in stocks and real estate um, coming from a place where I was on welfare and I was bankrupt. And um, I really just kind of built from the very bottom. And so when I realized I, I did it and, you know, I was actually making this work for me, I just wanted everybody to know about it. I was like, I, I don't understand why other people don't know about this. So I started blogging and people asked me to start, you know, creating actual courses so they could learn step by step how to do it. And that's what bottom up wealth is. Right. So the name of your company called Bottom Up Wealth. And it's intriguing because you said you came from welfare. You didn't have much. So how did you even understand or know to take this direction to invest? It's the funniest thing. I remember the moment when I decided that I was going to be an investor and I was watching TV and an E-Trade commercial came on, the one with the babies. Do you remember that one? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I'm like watching it and, you know, I understand marketing and, and kind of how that works. And I'm like, basically the message here is that anybody can do this. Like these are babies and they're like trading their stocks. And I'm like, I bet I could learn if I really, really focused on it. I bet I could. So that was the end of it. I just kind of became, and that's just the way my brain works. I get a thought and I become kind of obsessive over it. So I did. I just kept like plugging away and working on it and learning a little bit at a time and making mistakes. Some of them were expensive mistakes, but I I didn't give up on it because I knew that if other people could do it, I could also do it. And I just I didn't give up on it until I I got pretty good at stock investing and then I moved on to real estate. So it just kind of happened. I just kind of got a thought in my head and it just kind of took on a life of its own. And so this is entirely self-taught. For stocks, yes. I didn't have anybody teaching me. This was, you know, just hours and hours and like probably months, if we're talking about consecutive hours 
of just pouring over everything I could get my hands on about investing. And so, you know, and some of it was just, you know, trial and error and experience and, you know, uh, figuring out that something didn't work and then reading up on what I did wrong and going back to, you know, fix that mistake. And it was just a lot of, you know, just not giving up on it for real estate. I did take a class on how to wholesale real estate. So, um, that was a way for me because at the time I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't have good credit. You know, I had to have a bankruptcy on my credit report. Wholesaling doesn't require uh, m- much money or credit. So I was able to kind of flip some properties and come up with a lot of cash that I then used to invest in, you know, rental properties and more stocks. And, you know, so it was just kind of a snowball. Every time I made money, I took that money and invested it back into something else to make more money. And what I find really intriguing about what you just said is now, I don't know. So I guess I should ask this first. Were you always good at numbers or again, this is all really just you put your mind to it and you went forward with it? No, I've, I've never really been a big math person. I mean, I, I'm a person who, I mean, I really like to write. I, you know, I blog and I I write my courses myself by hand and everything. Um, So that's probably my strongest suit. But it was just like, it almost came from a place of desperation. I can't live like this for the rest of my life. Like Mm -hmm. other people do this. Other people figure this out. Why can't I be one of those people? So it was just like, I was a dog with a bone and I didn't care that I wasn't, you know, good at it right off the bat. I decided that I was going to become good at it. So, wow, I think I think that's so inspiring because I feel like a lot of people listening to this, um, whether it's people who follow this podcast already or people who follow you already have this preconception that maybe they're not good with numbers and the finance topics are just too much to understand. And maybe you have some people who already kind of get it, but still don't have that confidence in themselves. So I think it's super inspiring that you can hear, like you came from really, um, really nothing and you, you did it. You, with some effort and some dedication, you figured it out. So I think that's a good lesson to anyone listening. If they think that they can't figure something out is really any, anything is figure outable. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I agree. 100%. I actually, um, when I created zero to investor, which was my first course, my stock investing course, it was like, you know, my students had that kind of, oh my gosh, this is like not just learning these concepts and this analysis and stuff. It was a total mindset shift that needed to happen also. And so they felt, you know, a little bit overwhelmed and in, intimidated. Luckily, I was right there to kind of talk them off the ledge. But then that's when I w- kind of took it a step back and was like, okay, first, we need to work on mindset. And, you know, just the very basics of yes, you can do this. Yes, it's intimidating, but that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. So those that's a lot of what I focus on with people who are brand new to investing or building wealth. Right. And if you can share, can you just talk a little bit about where you are today? Because I kind of like to go from like kind of where you were and where you are and then dive deeper into that, because I think it's really good to see like what. So what can you share what your portfolio is, like how much you have um, gained for yourself, what you have done for your family since starting this business? I don't know. I get a little shy about getting into like specifics, but I, I tell my students that I'm not a millionaire. I'm not there yet. I will be. I I know that I will be, but I um I have a multiple six-figure net worth, I guess. Um a lot of that is in stocks. I really like stocks because um they are very passive, meaning you know, you can have other types of investments. Stocks, real estate and business are really what I focus on, and real estate and business are great, but they do require ongoing effort and maintenance and really just having to be active in it. Stocks are something that provide income very passively, which is really what I um, encourage people to focus on. So stock portfolio is the largest part of my net worth, but I also have um, rental properties and then of course, my I have two businesses. One is um, my real estate investment company, and the other is Bottom Up Wealth, and those are, um, you know, worth a substantial amount too. So, right, yeah, so you you are you you have a diverse portfolio. 
you're working on all aspects of creating and sustaining income. So what is your ultimate goal? Are you so my goal is to retire from my corporate job in six years or less, but that doesn't mean I don't want to work anymore. It just means I want to be financially independent to the point where I'm not working or have to work for money. So what is your overall goal? Well, I, um, you know, when I first started investing, what I am doing now was my goal. Um, It was to not be reliant upon employment for myself or my husband. So, um, you know, even just my husband retired officially earlier this year. Um, And so being able to do that was a big goal for me because he has, um, you know, he works extremely hard and he was excellent at what he was doing. But at the same time, it was just it it was uh, more of a symbolic thing of, you know, not having to be reliant upon anybody else to make sure that our family is fed and the bills are paid. And so, yeah, that was the ultimate goal for me. Now, with bottom up wealth, it keeps me extremely busy. So I am financially independent, meaning I don't have to go out and you know work at a job. But I do work very hard at bottom up wealth, first of all, because I am really passionate about helping to spread this message and helping people, especially people who otherwise are probably never going to have access to this information. You know, there are certain people who have people they know or connections who may be able to learn these things from from um, somebody else. But the people that I work with, my students, they are a lot of times people who would have never even come across these concepts, you know, just in their circle of people that they're with. Yeah, I I work really hard with Bottom Up Wealth. My main goal for Bottom Up Wealth is to turn it for entrepreneurs out there is to make it um, a more passive and self-sufficient business, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's it's only a year old. So it is, um, Bottom Up Wealth is very young and they, you know, startups require a lot of work. But ultimately, I would like for Bottom Up Wealth to be able to spread and and grow and help reach more people without me working the 60 or 70 hours a week that I work right now. So I, I... Right now, that's my main goal for myself. And it doesn't sound financial, but it you have to be able to generate income um, where you're not constantly going and working for it. So right. that is that's my current goal. And that's kind of what I like about your brand. And it's really what I'm trying to do with Journey to Launch is because I am so I I. I visit or I'm in the financial independent space. So the Mr. Money mustaches of the world and, you know, Uh all these different types of uh, just communities where people are online, you know, they they are doing the most advanced things in terms of getting money out there, 401ks early, retiring early. And then I look at my immediate circle or the people that I know and they none of them knew anything about this. So I stumbled upon this and I was like, oh, my gosh, like if I would have known about this world (laughs) in my 20s, I would have been I would have been almost probably retired already. And so, yeah, yeah, it's like, so my goal is just like, I want to be able to bring this message that if you are intentional about your money, if you're intentional about your spending and investing, you can become a millionaire. You can become financially independent and not have to work for a corporation. Um, It's possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So let's get a little bit into like, like some of the concepts and things that you teach, because I think it'd be helpful to like dive into it. So what are some of the key building blocks of building wealth? Well, in the free course I offer, The Seven Streams of Income, I, I talk a lot about five main concepts. And that is before you start investing, you have to know what you're doing. You have to not, you don't have to know everything, not even close to everything, but you do have to get some basics down and know kind of where you're headed because in the investing world, ignorance is very, very expensive. So that is, that's another reason I work so hard to be able to provide these, you know, educational uh, resources because a lot of the people that I work with don't have a lot of money to spare. And I'm afraid that if they go in, if they run in blind and they lose money, it'll turn them off forever. And, you know, you kind of lost them. You've kind of lost the chance to help them change their lives. So, you know, get some basic knowledge. That's the first thing you have to do. Second is strategy. Um, You know, I am a big believer in, in you pick something, you focus on it, you become 
a beast at it, you know, you make that your thing, get really good at it before you move on on to the next thing. So, you know, you've got people who want to start investing and, you know, they're trading a little bit over here and then they're doing some long-term investing over here. And then they're also trying to get into real estate. And that's great. The interest is great. But when you have too many, um, you know, pots on the stove, you're, you're not going to end up being really good at anything. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that makes sense. So, you know, I really encourage people to pick a strategy, get great at that, and then move on to the next thing. Um, The next is discipline. If you are, especially if you are starting with little money, um, you have to have discipline with your spending and you have to have discipline with um, how uh, you are routing your dollars, how hard you're making your dollars work, um, how much uh, effort and time you are investing into getting better at what you're doing. You really need to discipline yourself and, and you know, stay on track. And then the next one is the focus. Um, you just really want to be focused and not get distracted by all the different shiny objects out there because <laughs> there are, you know, there are yeah. a lot of ways out there that you can invest and make money and they're all, you know, there's no one right way to do it. But if you are trying to do everything again, you're just not going to end up being good at any one thing. And then, um, you have to be patient, especially with, um, with stuff like this, where you are going to make mistakes, you are going to have to do some trial and error. You're investing long-term in stocks. You're not going to have instant results. Nothing worth achieving is ever accomplished, you know, overnight. And I think a lot of people, um, they get off track because they, they just don't want to be, uh, they don't want to stick with it for the long haul. And that's how you become successful by having those, those principles of just being focused and disciplined and patient and, you know, sticking to your strategy and always continue to learn what you're doing so that you can improve on it. So when you talk about all these foundation, these building blocks that one needs to have, and then you mentioned like investing. So specifically, like how, when you say equity and stocks, do you mean just like particular like individual stocks? Are you talking about index funds? I actually teach both concepts and I teach, I Retire Wealthy is the course that covers different types of investment products. So mutual funds, index funds, how your 401k works, how your 403b works, how, you know, your TSP covers all of those things. And one of the first things you learn in that class is that your mutual funds and your index funds and all this stuff, all of that is made out of stocks or bonds. So what happens is they are compiled into these funds by, you know, Wall Street fund managers or whatever. And then there are usually a bunch of fees in there that you're paying just to have them compile these assets into a fund for you where you could, you know, and then Zero to Investor is the stock investing course where you learn how to analyze individual stocks. Now, I love individual stocks. I don't hold any funds because I feel like it's just much more efficient if you learn exactly what you're looking for and what fits your goals and then you you know assemble your portfolio to suit your needs and where you want to be. So to me um stock investing I prefer it. I love stock investing. I love stock analysis. That's where I started my investment journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But not everybody is going to have the passion for it either. So, and that's okay too. You can do either or. But when I talk about investing in general, I just mean really putting your money into anything and expecting to get a return. That's, that's an an investment. So it, there are a lot of different investments out there. Right. And I think it's actually so interesting that you, you prefer stocks because in the um, financially independent community and that whole movement, most people and myself included like index funds because mm-hmm. it's just low cost and you don't have to think mm-hmm. about it. Um, so I think it's, a, it's an interesting take on being able to reach your financial goals, but in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that it's different from what most people are in the community that we're in are doing. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, I mean, if you are going to go with uh, some sort of fund or investment product, index funds can't be beat by anything, you know, they're, they're the best uh, as far as fees go, but that's what it is. It's, it's fees that can a lot of times kill your 
um, your wealth. And because when you have that compounded fee every single year, it can add up to a staggering amount of money. So yes, index funds are great for people who really just don't want to bother with individual stocks. But if you're willing to learn individual stocks, it can make a huge difference in your bottom line in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I guess that leads into the next question, because a lot of what you um, you talk about is being conscious of the fees, you know, being aware of everything that's really affecting your returns. And mm-hmm. so not getting suckered into, you know, maybe some financial advisor offering you X amount of return. But then if you peel back the layers, <laughs> they're taking like a lot of that return really off the table or over time, you're losing yes. a lot of money. And you say, so yes. you talk a lot about 401k. So I thought this was interesting because you actually um, prefer Roth IRAs to 401ks in certain situations, correct? Yeah. You know, it really, it, it really depends on the person, but yeah, there, for, do you want me to go in, into yes, it now? I want to hear Um Okay. So first of all, uh, IRAs and 401ks are different types of accounts, even if, you know, if we take off the Roth part, Roth only refers to the way it's taxed. So um, there are traditional 401ks and there are Roth 401ks and there are traditional IRAs and there are Roth IRAs. So my thing is, it's not that I dislike 401ks. What I dislike about 401ks is that a lot of people seem to think that that is the only option for uh, investing for the retirement and that there are a lot of hidden fees that people do not, they don't know how to find them. They don't know what they're, they open their statement or their account and they have no idea what they're looking at. They have no idea where their money is. A lot of times they think the 401k is an investment itself and it's not, it's an account. And, you know, there's so much Um, You know, since we've moved from uh, pension plans that we had, you know, several decades ago for most employees, now, you know, employees are responsible for their retirement with 401ks or 403bs or whatever the employer offers. They are putting their money into this plan that is so complex and they have no idea what it even is or what it's doing or how to read it. So this is where I'm like, okay. In addition to getting your match with your 401k, also open up an IRA. And this is uh, IRA stands for individual retirement account. If you work, you can have one. And then, you know, when you are contributing in there and, um, you know, kind of figuring stuff out in your IRA, it's going to help you have a better idea of what's happening in your 401k. And you can make sure that you are invested in um, you know, investment products that suit your goals. So um, a lot of 401ks will put you in a default fund, uh, which is usually a target date fund. And a lot of times it's an actively managed mutual fund and not an index fund, which has much higher fees than an index fund. And, you know, over 40 years, that could cost you, you know, six figures in just fees or, uh, you know, underperformance because you weren't in the appropriate investment and you didn't know how to look for fees and you know, you would have had no idea. So that's where I just get a little uh, with mm-hmm. 401ks because you know, they're designed, they're so complex for people to understand, but yet people don't even, nobody's even talking about the fact that people have other options too. So as, and then as far as the taxation goes, whether Roth or traditional, you know, that's dependent on the person. So like I said, you can have Roth or traditional for either types of those retirement accounts. And traditional accounts are when you don't pay taxes on the contributions and you pay taxes later when you withdraw in retirement. And a Roth is you pay the regular tax rate on whatever you are contributing um, it's not extra taxes, but it's, you know, whatever your tax set. And then the money grows tax free. For me, as a person who has kind of built their life around collecting assets and just like really just focused and hoarding these assets that are, you know, appreciating in value and generating more wealth for me, I know that if I'm doing it right, that tax bill down the road in retirement is not going to be pretty. So mm-hmm. to me, I'm just like, if you 
want to be a very successful investor and you are dedicated to making this work and building a huge net worth for yourself, you don't want to pay taxes on everything down the road. Does right. that make sense? Right. It does. I mean, you want to be diversified. But with the traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, the maximum you can put in is 5500 per yes. account. So I guess the difference for me is when I look at how like my retirement strategy, because I've been maxing out um, everything and it's different. It's different for everyone because I have the ability to max out everything. So I'm not necessarily losing out, you know, because I max out of the 401k and my husband maxes out of this 403b and 457. We are still able to then now max out backdoor Roth IRAs. So yeah. I think like for us, like, you know, I, I definitely like to think about as much money as I can funnel in. But for someone who is a little bit more limited to how much they can put in, um, you're saying, you know, at least go up into your company match and then look at an outside uh, IRA and then go back. If you have more money, then look at going back, possibly if the fees are reasonable. Possibly. And, you know, usually it, it, you know, like I said, it depends on the quality of investments in your 401k. It depends on the quality of investments in your 401k. It depends on the fees in your 401k. It depends on what tax bracket you fall into. It depends on if you are kind of on the edge of one tax bracket over another. For instance, one year, uh, we contributed more heavily to our traditional IRAs because it w- the contributions brought us down into uh, you know a lower tax bracket. So that made mm-hmm. sense for that year. It also is going to depend on... Um, whether you own a business, because if you are a business owner, then you can also contribute a lot more to a self-employed account and that some sort of IRA, a simple IRA, an SCP IRA, and then you can actually convert that into after-tax dollars uh, or a Roth IRA. And so there's a lot of different strategies you can use. And then, you know, if you're good on retirement, if you've been putting the max in your 401k for the last you know, 15 years, maybe it's time for you to look at a taxable account so you can, you know, you can move towards early retirement. Mm -hmm. So it just, it really just depends on who you are, where you're at, what your situation is. There's so much to consider, but to me, uh, you know, and of course my, my personal preferences of course will shadow what I teach. But, um, to me, I'm just like, I don't want to pay taxes later on when, first of all, I don't know what American tax rates are going to be in 30 years. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, hoarding all these assets, like I said, I don't want to owe taxes on the entire amount later on, which is what happens also with traditional um, accounts. You pay taxes on the entire amount and you also or everything that you withdraw. Right. Contributions and contributions and the earnings on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also you are taxed at your regular income tax rate for everything. You don't get the lower, um, preferred investment tax rates on, um, those traditional accounts when you start withdrawing. So there's a lot to consider. Right. It's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think what we can take away from this is regardless of your situation is that you definitely need to, to dig deep and do ask questions and do some more research in, in either way you go. Yeah. So, all right. So I get this question a lot. I'm sure you do too, is that, um, so a lot of people who are interested in starting to invest, they have debt. And so what do you recommend? Are you a proponent of becoming debt free for the most part and then investing? Or do you say, okay, invest, still try to get out of debt, but invest at the same time. What are your thoughts? Um, again, this depends. Um, but (laughs) When you are deciding, you know, if we're just looking at a very simplistic view of whether you should, if you have money, should you invest it or should you pay off debt, look at the interest rate. So the interest rate of, uh, you know, a credit card, yes, pay those cards off because the interest rate is, it's more than you're probably going to get in any sort of investment, especially if you're a beginner. If you are looking at something like a mortgage where it's, you know, a 3.5% interest rate, no, you know, take that money and grow it at, depending on what you're investing in, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10%. Mm-hmm. And that's never guaranteed in an investment. But to me, I'm always just looking at, you know, the odds, the, you know, what are the odds of me, um, <clears throat> of the outcome this way? And what are the odds of the outcome this way? So 
That said, if you do have a lot of high interest debt, like credit cards, um, I am a big, a big um, believer in getting into the habit very early of paying yourself first. So even if all of your extra dollars are going towards paying down your credit card debt, at least set, you know, maybe $5 as an automatic um, transfer into your IRA account or into, you know, whatever account you, you choose to go with just so that you get in the habit of making sure that you are taken care of. Because a lot of us, we will, you know, get money and then we'll give it away to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. if we, it, it'll be bills or, and if we have some leftover over bills, we find something to spend it on, right. but creating that habit, you know, even if it's just five or $10 every pay period, I think that makes a very big difference. And then once your debt is paid down, you can increase it. You can take whatever you're putting towards your debt and then use that to um, contribute for your investments. Right. Once you, you free up some cash flow. I mean, it, t- it goes back to what you said before as one of the building blocks of discipline, because you have mm-hmm. to really be careful of like how much you're spending, because in my opinion, like, yes, you should definitely pay yourself first. But part of like maybe the issue if someone has a lot of credit card debt is because like you paid yourself already a lot and, you know, like <laughs> in a bad way. But, but here's <laughs> the thing. I don't consider, um, you know, spending your money. I don't consider that paying yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you spend money. You, you really just, you know, you gave your money, you gave your wealth away to get whatever it is you, you bought, you know? So Mm. to me, I'm just like paying yourself first means paying uh, a future you, you know, setting these dollars aside to build and grow for future you. So that's what I mean by paying yourself, yourself first. Okay. I like Um, that. I like that like framework of it's more of investing in your future self, even if, you know, your, your previous self, made some purchases that you probably couldn't have afford, you know, yeah. moving forward, paying yourself means investing in yourself. Yes. Okay. This, this is all excellent, excellent nuggets. Um, and so, all right. So say someone comes to you and they have $20,000, meaning they have $20,000 in their income that they can dedicate to either investing in pre-tax retirement accounts through their 401k or a Roth IRA, and then maybe there's some money left over if they're not maxing everything out for other investments outside of retirement accounts. Like, what would you recommend someone do? (laughs) Again, it's going to depend. And part of what I do is uh, I make very clear that all I can do is hand the facts out for my students. I can hand you the facts. These are the rules. This is what you you can do. This is how you look at this, you know, but when it comes to their personal situations, I don't answer those types of questions because I'm, I'm not an advisor and I don't pretend to be an advisor. I just, you know, I just pass on what I know. Mm -hmm. So, um, it is going to depend on a number of factors, including where they're at for retirement. If they have us, uh, you know, enough saved or if they need to catch up and it is going to depend on what if they do have investments, what they already have. Um, it's going to depend on their goals on, you know, if they are not very interested in stocks, but they'd really like to get into real estate. Maybe that should be a down payment. You know, so it's just it, it depends. I can tell you what I would do with it. If I you know, if I had twenty thousand yeah. dollars, I would um, if I were employed at a regular job, I would, um, you know, do my my match for my 401k that is really good on fees. <laughs> Otherwise mm-hmm. I wouldn't be part- participating. And then I would, um, you know, max out my Roth IRA and then I would probably put the rest in a taxable account if I, you know, didn't own a business and couldn't, couldn't do a backdoor with a self-employment account. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, it just depends, but a lot of my students, they've learned stocks, but they're dying to get into real estate and that just excites them. And that's okay. You know, that if that's what they want to do, then that's where they should, where they should focus. Right. Right. And I mean, I think, I think real estate is obviously it's a good proponent of wealth. If you do the proper research and you understand the opportunity cost of investing in real estate. So, and it's, uh, the mistakes can get a lot more expensive in real estate. Um, so that is why, you know, they've been begging me to make this class, Uh (laughs) this real estate class for them for, you know, almost a year now. And I'm just like, okay, you know, kind of get a good, get your mind wrapped around around investment in general and, you know, how to, you know, make good decisions based on the information that you have. 
And then, you know, move on to real estate. Because like I said, when you make a mistake, you know, with a $500 stock investment, that's one thing. But if you make a mistake with a, you know, a property that is tens of thousands of dollars and now you can't sell it, well, then that's a totally different ballgame. So, right. And yeah. I mean, that's such an important point because real estate is the most probably in our life, most people's lifetime, the most expensive thing if that you would ever buy. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because previous guests, so um, my guest on episode 11, Chrissy and Bryce, talked about um, they retired at 31. They chose not to buy real estate because they thought it definitely wasn't the best return on their money. They invested mm-hmm. that money instead and retired by 31 and are traveling the world. And then mm-hmm. I had a guest on um Previously, episode 12, um, she talked about she's building her wealth mostly through real estate. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously it's like just different um, different perspectives. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll link both of those in the show notes um, for anyone who's interested in um, listening to those episodes. Okay, so Alania, you're also a mom. Yes. Of three boys, right? Three boys, yes. Okay, so and you talk a lot about how you're going to make your kids um, rich. You're going to put them on the path to financial success. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I'm a mom too. And so this stuff really, this this topic really is dear to my heart. (laughs) Well, first of all, I do not have the goal of making my children rich. I, the goal with the way I set um, my children's investment accounts up is so that they can have opportunity. And to me, that's what wealth is about. I am a person, I I don't like stuff. Like I don't ever have the goal of really having a fancy car or, you know, fancy clothes or anything. I don't like stuff. What money does is opens the door for opportunity. It op- it gives you a pass to get uh, to have experiences that you wouldn't otherwise have. Those are the things that are important to me. So to me, um, If you, you know, graduate from high school and, you know, you don't want to really go to college, but you, you know, you don't have any money. So then you start working at, you know, uh, you know, a minimum wage job and you just kind of get stuck there or, you know, so it's like sometimes some of these people who just did not have the opportunity to um, create uh, something substantial for themselves, it was because of the lack of means to do so. I mean, there are some brilliant people, I feel like, um, who can't afford an education and they don't have opportunities. They don't have access to resources. You know, it's uh, they could be the person that is going to cure cancer, but they can't afford an education. You know what I mean? Right. So to me, it's like, I want my kids to be able to you know, when they finish high school, if they want to go, um, you know, explore in Asia for six months before they go to college, they can do that. If they want to um, invest in a a business, you know, start a business when they get done with school, they have the means to do that. If they want to, you know, buy rental properties and get started on that when they're 21 years old, they can do that. Whatever drives them and whatever, wherever their passion lies, I want my children to have the means to do that because a lot of us, you know, we didn't have that, you know, a lot of us had big dreams and, you know, we just, it was really difficult to see them through because of the money situation. Mm -hmm. So to me, that is, that is why I invest for my children now. And if you actually do the math and run the numbers on what a very small amount of money, um, if invested properly adds up to, you know, over 30 or 40 years, it is staggering. So to me, I'm just mm-hmm. like, why, why wouldn't you? Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I mean, if you get into just the logistics of that, like, can you just like give maybe a quick example of how then one can, if they have, you know, a, a three-year-old, five-year-old, even older child, like what they can start doing today that will put their child on the right track and give them better opportunities? Well, first of all, I, a lot of people want to like run out and um, start investing for their kids because that huge potential for the growth in their investment is there. And I totally understand that for you have to scale back and make sure that you are taken care of first with your retirement Mm -hmm. before you start investing for your kids. So I just have to throw that disclaimer in there because of who I am. (laughs) So um, then after that, um, you need to figure out what you want to um, what are your goals for your child? If you are um, if you are wanting to make sure that their college is completely funded, 
great. Then you want to look at a Coverdell or a um, 529 plan, which are college savings plans. If you want to give your children that nest egg that I was just talking about, you know, so that they can travel in a gap year or they have seed money to start a business or invest, then you would want to look at a custodial investment account for your child and start contributing to that. And like we were talking about earlier, what you invest in for them is total preference. It's, you know, it's personal preference. You can, you know, invest in index funds and just kind of set that on autopilot. And every time you make a deposit, it's automatically invested in whatever index funds you choose. Or you can, like I do, um, learn how to buy individual stocks for them and invest that way. So I really like my kids hold a, a, you know, a few different companies. And I always talk to them about these companies because they're, some of them they're familiar with, you know, they, they're familiar with the companies and I don't usually talk about my holdings, but you know, every time we, uh, every time it comes up or we drive past it or whatever, I, you know, I tell them that they're owners of this company and, um, you know, I show them their investment accounts and their gains and, you know, what a very small amount of money can do for them if they, um, you know, if they're patient and they get that strategy down and, you know, they're disciplined and all this stuff, because with these custodial investment accounts, a lot of my students will voice concerns over handing a child that's 18 or 21, this big chunk of money that you've right, invested for them. With the custodial account, it, it really, it belongs to the child at a certain age. Yes. When yeah. they reach the age of majority in the state, which can, which is either 18 or 21. But if you show them what you did and you show them the gains and you show them how that money got there and you show them, you know, this is what I did. And these are the results of that. Then your child is not only um, more appreciative of how the money got there, but then and what my hope is as an investor and, and as a parent, they will make sure that they pay themselves first and they continue to invest for themselves as they get older, you, you know, as they right. um, have their own jobs and everything. So I think that that lesson there and, you know, discussing it with your child, what you're doing for them is very important. Otherwise, you know, you could end up with uh, an 18 year old who comes home <laughs> with, you know, a $20,000 car that he paid for in cash right. from his custodial investment account. Right. So yeah. Yeah. You have to teach them along the way. And now I kind of just have a question for you because I've actually been going back and forth between what type of account to open for my children and I can't really decide between the custodial account and then just opening it up uh, just regular non-retirement kind of just earmarked index fund or account investing fund for them. Um, do you have just any thoughts on which, like, I know you, you recommend custodial accounts, but um, why not just invest in, an, in a, just an earmarked fund for them or outside investing account? You can do that. And in fact, some parents do like to do that um, because then they actually control the money. So, you know, you can, uh, you know, have these assets, like you said, earmarked for them, but it's not in their name. It's just something that you plan to gift to them later on. Is that, am I following? Yes. What you're yes. Okay. Um, and that can work. And um, that is, that, that is totally fine. The, th and you know, with custodial accounts, you have to be careful if you plan to apply for financial aid for college, those count, those will hit you pretty hard as far as your expected family contributions. So a custodial account isn't necessarily the right move for everyone. Um, you're also going to have a lot more, uh, you know, a, a lot of control over when you gift these assets to your child. So if you want to wait till they're 30 before you you know, give them this earmarked account, then you absolutely can do that if you never put the assets in their name to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that people will do with um, custodial accounts, though, is uh, protect at family assets from taxation. So um, your, your children have to be uh, generating quite a bit of in um, dividends if, if you use a buy and hold strategy, your children have to be generating quite a bit in dividends in order for you to be uh, taxed on their earnings in that account. So it's just a tax planning strategy. Right. Um, the other thing, too, is business owners should definitely hire their children and um, open up retirement accounts for them because since they are employed, they're eligible eligible for them. Right. And I, I, I read that you had wrote that somewhere and it was just like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Um, and you know, if you open, if you happen to open a Roth IRA for your child because they're employed and they can have that, um, Roth IRAs can be used for college without penalty. And they also count as a zero as far as financial aid goes and expected family contribution. Whereas Mm. college accounts count for about 5%. So there's always all kinds of stuff to consider. And these are, I mean, I mean, you're dropping so many great nuggets um, and (laughs) things that I feel like, again, sometimes what you don't know, you don't know. But now that, you know, I like to say that I like to plant seeds. I like my guests to plant seeds into the minds of the listeners so that if something is of interest to them, if something piques their interest, they go out and they research and they Mm -hmm. figure out what works best for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Alanya, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this great knowledge and your story with us. I think it will really, really help a lot of people. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Alanya. She had so many great tips, such great insight. If you want to learn more about Alanya and all about Bottom Up Wealth, go to bottomupwealth.com. And I particularly liked how she made sure she said that she wasn't that great at math. It's just that she stuck with it. She really stayed committed to learning the process. And I think we can, a lot of us can relate to that because especially with finances, sometimes it doesn't come as easy as other things, numbers. But what I really liked about what Alania was saying is that you don't have to be great at it. It doesn't have to come easy to you. What matters is your determination in figuring things out. Everything is figure outable. So I hope you keep that in mind. And again, if you want any of the things we discussed, any of the show notes for this episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 14. One more thing I wanted to mention is that the wealth building manual is for sale on my site. What is the wealth building manual? Basically, the manual is something I created as a step-by-step guide for you if you are wanting to understand the building blocks of wealth according to Journey to Launch. So the manual I created will help you do a few things. It will help you find your why, identify the deep meaning behind the reason for your wanting to build wealth. It will help you improve your mindset. So understanding that financial abundance is your birthright. It will help you develop clear financial goals. So it'll help you map out and strategically plan all of your financial goals. And then it will help you learn and apply the wealth formula to your finances. So you get detailed explanations of the wealth formula and how to apply it to your finances right now. And so it comes with worksheets and it's a really helpful tool if you're interested. It's on my website for sale now. And if you want to check it out, it's at journeytolaunch.com slash manual. Grab your copy now at a super affordable price of only $27. I also wanted to read a review from iTunes because I haven't done that in a couple episodes. And just to show you guys that I listen, I read everything. I just want to show my appreciation by reading a review on air. This review is from Berber Love. I am truly enjoying your guest and also the lessons taught on this podcast thus far. You're doing such a great job, Jamila. I will definitely recommend this podcast. So thanks, Berber Love, for that feedback and that review on iTunes. You can leave your own review if you're listening by going to iTunes. Again, I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. I hope until then you have a prosperous and amazing week. Thanks, guys.